Welcome to The Banker Midweek, your weekly look at what the industry is talking about, offering information bankers like you need to know. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Banker Midweek. This week, our editors are myself, Liz Lumley, and my colleague, fresh from Morocco on the IMF, John Everington. Hello, John. How are you? Hi, Liz. Not too bad, thanks. Good to be back. Very good. So you don't have jet lag because Morocco's on the same time. So. That's right, yes. So yes, like you have no, no excuse. No excuse. Okay. <laughs> Got to be sharp. And all we are also joined by a special guest, Araba Eshin, Senior Vice President, Head of Compliance, EMEA, and APAC at Zero hash. Hello, Araba. Hi, everyone. So, but with with you as a special guest, we will be talking about uh, the bank. One of the banker midweek's favorite topics, which is crypto. Yeah. We can't get away from it. <laughs> crypto, as you said before we started, crypto never sleeps. <laughs> so we're going to start off with, as I kind of uh, teased a bit, um, John and our European editor, Anita Hauser, um, spent last week in Marrakesh at the IMF World Bank event. And they had a lot of adventures, which they posted on LinkedIn. I hope you followed them and uh, filed a lot of videos and stories around the event. So John is going to give us the lowdown about what, what went down. <laughs> What we did in Marrakech. What we did in Marrakech. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, IMF um, and World Bank meetings are always very interesting kind of times, of course. I mean, you've got sort of, I mean, you've got the high hegens, the sort of the guys who are sort of like very senior, so like kind of within the fund and with the World Bank, and then pretty much every sort of kind of financial sort of minister and central bank governor is there as well, and then a host of other meetings kind of um, happening around the side. So it's a really good kind of like, opportunity to kind of like take the pulse of the sort of the international financial system and what's what the big issues are um it has to be said that this year there was it, there was quite a gloomy kind of aspect to a lot of the stuff um, mm. that was going on i mean well, there's a lot of gloom going on in the world there right is now. yeah i mean we have the sort of like the horrific events in israel gaza which are kind of like which, which was sort of like kind of hanging over everything mm. and so i mean there were big demonstrations within rabat we didn't see so many in marrakesh but i mean sort of very big demonstrations in the capital rabat Beyond that, I mean, there are the ongoing issues that are sort of that are on everyone's mind, particularly climate change, which I mean is affecting Africa in a massive way. Um, Morocco has had a sort of a massive drought this year, which has impacted there, so they're really feeling that um, face on. And then, of course, beyond that, there's the growing debt burden um, throughout the world. We talked to the IIF; the global debt sort of pile has kind of reached to over 300 trillion now, 300 trillion dollars, and also debt to GDP is increasing as well on a quarterly basis. And this is all within the sort of the context of a sort of a, of a high interest rate climate, basically. So, with all of this in the background, people are asking questions: Are the structures that we've been relying on since the '40s, from the World Bank and the, mm. and the IMF, are they fit for purpose anymore? And do we really need to start having a bit of a rethink about how That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, how institutions like that kind of it's like kind of tackle the challenges of of this of this new world, basically. Mm. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, that that world, that post-World War II world. And now we're in, uh, you know, climate change, obviously, is like you know, almost a, what's the word, chronic condition that mm -hmm. we're dealing with globally. Um, and then, you know, the, the ongoing war in Ukraine and now in Israel, it's just uh, seems like World War Three is starting. Um, it's I mean, what what do you think had more prominence there? Was it climate change or what's going on with um, terrorism and, and war? I think. Climate change, I think, sort of definitely is. I think, I think it had more prominence. I mean, people were kind of much more kind of prepared to talk about it, and I mean, it has been a kind of a growing um, topic of prominence for, I mean, for months if not years. I mean, if you kind of go back a few months, 
in Kenya in the sort of you had a sort of major climate summit there. It, it did kind of garner international headlines and there were pledges for um, kind of climate mitigation, climate adaptation. Of course, nowhere near enough, but it was, I mean, it was, it did get on, on the radar. And then, of course, in the G20 summit, the African Union has now got a kind of a seat on the on, at, the, at the G20, which kind of amplifies their voice. They've been kind of saying for many years, look, we didn't cause all this stuff. You guys are the one who've been pumping the carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. We haven't really been doing much, but we're at the sharp end of it. So I think sort of there was that kind of growing kind of message coming from it. I think sort of everyone's still kind of trying to process what's going on in Israel, Gaza, and I mean, an ongoing situation. Um, so I think there were sort of, there were initial kind of thoughts about kind of how it's going to play out. And I mean, if you look at the oil prices, that sort of oil had been dipping a little bit, but is now above $85 a barrel once again. And then there's sort of questions about how that's going to impact kind of the wider region. Um, there's been a lot of rapprochement between Israel and a number of the Gulf states and, and within the wider region as well. How that's going to be impacted it's just a little bit too early to tell, but I mean, it's something that everyone's like watching and um, with with some anxiety, has to be said. Mm. So, how about the um, you know? Of course, everyone knows Morocco had a, an earthquake a few weeks before uh, before the IMF event went on. I mean, how what what was how was that handled at the show? Was it just business as usual, or it has to be said that at the show itself, I mean, there were sort of there were very very few signs of the earthquakes earthquakes impact, although it did hit Marrakesh. I mean, and if if you went into the old city in the Kasbah, which is where the bankers team was all staying in these in these beautiful little riads there were there was a lot of scaffolding up there to protect the foundations a little bit so but i mean but it has been sort of quite a sort of a devastating impact like kind of in the wider region particularly up in the mountains where the infrastructure isn't as developed and and uh, yeah, so that's where the, kind of the majority of the loss of life happens. So, mm. but I mean, we spoke with the central bank governor of um, of Morocco, and I mean, he's saying, I mean, they're they're working on sort of on the funding solutions in in partnership with the IMF. Um, I think the government has already um, put in sort of in place um, some kind of immediate financial relief measures, but I think they're kind of working together sort of to to get something a bit more permanent and and a bit more durable going forward. Mm. Excellent. So yes, you can go on to thebanker.com and watch uh, the special view from the IMF series with both John and Anita and read more of their continuing coverage of the event. So as we move on, as our listeners know, The Banker Midweek is our weekly discussion of stories live on The Banker site and newsy bits that will influence future stories. So we're going to go to um, a story, which is kind of a small, I think it's a small but significant story that's on the site right now, which is Society Generale expands Italian offering with Spectrum Markets Partnership. I think I'll probably do the majority of the comments on this. I quite like this story. This is written by one of our uh, reporters, Davide and it's you don't often get a capital markets investment banking fintech story, um, which is one of the re- reasons I thought it was a bit interesting. And also, um, this is part of kind of a wider strategy um, at SockGen to partner with fintechs, which is always an interesting topic um, for the banker. And this was a quote that I thought was quite interesting was uh, Didier Imbert, head of public distribution Europe for Sockgen, said uh, that for the time being, the firm is primarily looking to venture into other jurisdictions through partnership with online banks and neobanks that also have a pan-European strategy because the partnership with Spectrum Markets is going to allow the bank to um, expand its offering in Italy uh, with agreements uh, that will offer uh, their products to the Italian market. So yes, bank fintech partnerships 
I think this is just my thing. <laughs> is that you, do, does this enter the uh, the crypto world at all, Araba? Looking at uh, looking at this this lovely collaborative world we're in right at the moment. Right now, I wouldn't say so unless mm. they um, decide that they will offer bank accounts to the crypto. Um, mm, yeah, bank accounts to uh, to uh, crypto fintech firms. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, I feel like. Sockgen and um, banks in general are starting to open their doors, but I'll, I'll probably talk about that a bit later. Oh, cool. Excellent. So we are, as I did promise you, we're going to move on to crypto. So this is a, another story, which is live on the site, also written by Davide. Uh, Nigeria's crypto market continues to de defy the odds. Crypto trades have steadily grown despite government bans and limitations, proving their resilience against systemic economic uncertainty in the country. Um, so today, Nigeria's cryptocurrency usage remains the highest in Africa and among the most developed in the world as a whole, with a year-on-year -year growth rate of 9%, according to a report from Chain Analysis. This puts Nigeria in third place on a list of only six countries that reported consistent growth since 2021. I'm going to go first to you, John, because this is your region. Um, what, uh, what, what do you make of this story? I'd be very interested to hear what Araba sort of, I mean, has to say about this, I mean, from her vantage point. I mean, but it's when the crypto utopians talk about cryptocurrency as a sort of as a new as a sort of a new kind of like payment method, which is kind of outside of government control or as a store of value and is kind of used for international payments and remittances and such. I think there are a number of kind of things to be said about that. I mean, so mm. particularly when with regards to the West and such. But then when you look at Nigeria, it's you can kind of see the kind of the clear glimmers of truth in that, in the sense that you have to be have to be a little bit careful because I mean, okay, as a store of value, I think sort of it's true that the naira has been devalued several times, and that sort of when people kind of have their money in their kind of in their local currencies, they lose kind of value kind of in real terms. People investing in Bitcoin have had very similar experiences, should we mm -hmm. say, kind of following the crypto winter. But then particularly when you look at things like stable coins, that seems to be a very real option mm. for kind of for people within, I mean, within sort of African, within African countries and particularly in Nigeria, where you kind of think, OK, well, if I want to pr preserve my wealth, let's kind of just put it in a stable coin, which is going to be better than the Naira. And then in addition, um, the, the sort of the remittance and the payment um options, which I mean, Davide mentions in his piece, which are kind of becoming increasingly popular. This is also a sort of a particular kind of quirk of, of some of some of the African experience when you're kind of doing international payments and remittances that you don't, if you're going to do a sort of a transfer from Naira in, in Nigeria into Kenyan shillings, more often than not, you still need to kind of do it, do a conversion into dollars from one currency into dollars and then mm -hmm. back into the sort of into the into the other currency, which, of course, kind of has more fees and is a bit more cumbersome, whereas um, crypto um, or digital assets kind of offer you kind of being able to do it directly. And just you'll have you'll pay one transaction fee, perhaps, and just being able to send, I mean, send it over and to like have cash out on the other side. Mm -hmm. So there are it does seem as if there is a kind of an There's increase. There's a lot of benefit for that. There, there is benefit for that. So I think and so which I think is what is one of the factors behind this sort of the growth in in sort of in cryptocurrencies. It also has to be said, I think if you take it a little bit of a step back, people are kind of still investing in it as a speculative asset. They want mm -hmm. to make money out of it. I mean, again, people have seen what happened in the sort of like the last crypto boom and the sheer sort of increases that were there. And so I think there still is very much a kind of a driver 
have kind of like people seeing this as a growth asset, wanting to make a little bit of money of it. But then those other use cases are there as well. So mm. it's so it's even so it was quite surprising for for Davide and I when we were looking at this story initially that in spite of kind of a lot of people having lost their shirt in the crypto winter, people were still kind of plowing into mm-hmm. into um, into cryptocurrencies as, as a digital asset despite that. So, mm. so yeah, a very, very interesting um, story and a very interesting use case. Mm. I'd love to get your views, your views on this, uh, Araba, about, uh, you know, regions like of countries like Nigeria and the, um, you know, the, 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 the stable place of, uh, as an alternative to their fiat currency or, or just uh, investing in a digital asset. What, what are your views? Yeah, I, I feel like um, countries like Nigeria and um, Sub-Saharan Africa in general, um, they're using crypto as a fight against inflation, as mm-hmm. uh, John mentioned. I mean, the Naira's fallen about 60% versus the US dollar since October 2014. And that's why I'd say um, stable coins and Bitcoin, etc., are so... Um, attractive to Nigerians and Africans in general. Taking my own experience, um, I'm my her- heritage is actually Ghanaian. Mm-hmm. And I just think about the inflationary rates of um, 2022 and how um, the city dropped um, 29.8%, which led to real world issues for members of my own family. And I just think that crypto remittance etc can help to combat this kind of feeding into the speculationary points that were mentioned i think that when it comes to inflation crypto shows real world utility um the fact that a stable coin um as mentioned by john could be used to get rid of some um fx fees that we see um in africa for example um he mentioned Mm. the Kenyan shilling and the Naira. I think about just even sending money from the UK back to Ghana and how I could get rid of those fees. And it could be instantaneous compared to having to use traditional um, kind of FX companies to send money back. Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah, no, I, I I hear that a lot. There's um there's a lot of anger against, as you mentioned, the traditional money transfer companies, uh, sending back. What so what what's going on with sort of other regions in the world? Like what what's going on with with Australia, for example? Great news came out this week. We've been waiting for it for ages. Um, Australia has proposed a new crypto licensing regime. Um, they are proposing to draft legislation by 2024 with it, the regime being released in 2025. I guess, as we know, there's an AML regime, but that doesn't really cover custody and other parts of um, the whole crypto ecosystem. And I just, in general, all of the regulatory regimes that are coming out, I think that they're a great step forward for crypto and legitimizing the industry. I know that um, we talk about how speculatory everything is, but I think without having real um, regulation, it's very hard for um, the industry to actually show the utility that it has. And I, I've I've done a lot of research into the approach being taken by the UK. The Treasury came out with a consultation paper earlier this year that closed in April that 
kind of went into the details of a fulsome regulatory regime for the UK and what that would look like. And then you've got the likes of Mika coming out mm. um, at the end of 2024. And I just, I think it's a positive for the industry. It means that there will be more market participants, um, more traditional financial services firms can enter into the space, space having clarity on what is and isn't allowed. Mm. No, it's very interesting how how sort of almost universally welcomed Mika Mika has been. Mika or Mika? Here we go. But, We've uh, had this conversation yeah. before. We've had we? this conversation before. But it's kind of interesting how sort of universally welcomed um, that regulation has been by both uh, the the alternative finance side and and the traditional finance side going forward. Excellent. So we're going to move on to our final story, and this is. Boo hiss a story that's not yet, not on the uh, banker site yet. It's on Finextra, but it's uh, about uh, my 2023 bank to keep an eye on, J.P. Morgan, uh, and it's still in the same sector. So J.P. Morgan moves to commercialize blockchain and tokenized collateral networks. So J.P. Morgan has transformed a money market fund shares into tokens to execute an over-the-counter derivatives trade between BlackRock and Barclays using blockchain. Uh, the development answers an industry-wide appetite for a frictionless transfer of collateral ownership without the hassle of moving assets using traditional means. J.P. Morgan's tokenized collateral network application uses a blockchain network which sits between a collateral receiver and a collateral provider to enable the transfer of tokenized ownership interests. Um, I think we're just going to see more and more of these types of announcements going forward so what do you think of um um araba i'd love, love your views on this on on what uh, what jp morgan is doing i mean i i think this is very exciting i mean this is a 10 plus trillion dollar market opportunity mm. tokenization for me has um huge potential and really shows um the utility of blockchain technology to be honest with you, Jamie Dimon's been talking about um, tokenization for years. Mm. I just remember when TCM was first tested back in May 2022 and believing that this could be great for um, investment banks as a whole. Um, and just the fact that I think um, the, fa you, the fact that smart contracts can be used to transfer assets across multiple industries and multiple asset classes. Um, it's just, it's the beginning of something huge as far as I'm concerned. I've, I mean, I've done research into how blockchain technology and smart contracts could be used for the transfer of title deeds and luxury goods. And just the fact that this whole transaction drastically reduced the settlement fails and provided near instantaneous real-time change of ownership, I just think uh, it, it just spells greatness for the future. Mm, yeah, no, it's, it, it does seem like we've been waiting for blockchain to be the beginning of something good for a very long time. Do you, do you agree? Do you think this is the, finally the beginning of something interesting with this technology, John? I mean, again, one of the other conversations that I had in uh, Marrakesh was just, uh, it was with somebody senior within the financial um, sort of services and banking practice within one of the ratings agencies. And again, he was just making the point, I mean, talking about digital assets, I mean, we talked about kind of like the use of Bitcoin and things like that. I mean, in Nigeria, as we were discussing earlier, but then kind of like talking about the kind of the wider blockchain ecosystem, 
he was just making the point, which I think needs to be reiterated every now and again, that there are large parts of the international financial system which are still quite manual mm. and they're sort of and are quite analog. I mean, we're not talking abacuses or anything like that, but I mean, still a lot <laughs> well, of Well, it it's close. It's it, yeah, I mean, so once, once you peek behind it's the It's an curtain, electronic bill of lading story on the site right now that you can read. <laughs> indeed, yeah. So I think sort of, I think just when you kind of like look at the sort of the processes one by one and you kind of think, okay, this is still done almost by hand. And then you kind of think, okay, well, this is, I mean, if you kind of, if you kind of separate yourself from some of the more utopian and outlandish claims that were made for blockchain and Bitcoin in the early days mm. and actually just think, you know what? So like blockchain is the perfect vehicle for just sort of automating these processes, making them faster, making them cheaper, making them more efficient. Then that's low hanging fruit, which has been mm. has been uh, waiting to be plucked, as it were. So I think it's 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 good news. And I think it's it's very healthy development. So excellent. Well, that's it for the Banker Midweek. Thank, thank you, John. Thank you, Araba. I really, uh, I really enjoyed this episode. But thank you so much. And tune in. Tune in every Wednesday. Tune in next week. Thanks. Thank you for listening to The Banker Midweek, part of the portfolio of podcasts from the editorial team at The Banker, available on thebanker.com and wherever you get your podcast fix. Search on The Banker Podcasts to listen to more. <laughs>